upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go, or what? This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't beat beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that, and every kid, I, they knew they could kick the shit out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two men. Shelling up 
board with the combination. Very nicely done the way Thomas threw that shot. of wrestling this is the flagship interview series a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire i am a jp a john pause and today's episode is with an absolute legend a combat sports icon kung lee yes the former strike force middleweight champion a former karate kickboxing champion just an overall mma icon and a really combat sports legend he is just one of the greatest of all time such an honor to be able to get him on and have him on for as long as we did i mean this is a very very lengthy interview and a very rare one for us so it's really great to get back into like the mma world get back into the combat sports world and really do it in a big way and have a great long lengthy interview with a legend so i thought that was pretty damn cool in this interview we talk all about what you can do during the quarantine obviously the covid19 pandemic that's going on what can you do to stay in shape he's got some great tools and some great things to do and even some videos to watch if you are so inclined to be a part of that and really, really get yourself into some great shape. Who better than him to kind of get you in shape? So I thought that was really cool. We talk all about the acting world as well, the movies, the TV shows, everything that he's got going on there. We do delve into some of the UFC talk, some of the lawsuit 
talk, some of the things that are going on in that world and, and in the current world and, and that realm. And we do talk about his UFC career, obviously, as well, which was kind of short-lived. But we do go into detail, real good detail, about his MMA career as far as Strike Force is concerned and him winning the Strike Force Middleweight Championship over the legend. Frank Shamrock. So this is just a really, really fun and really kind of uh, in-depth interview here. It's a very long, it's over, well over an hour. It's just really good stuff. I mean, we even go all the way back to when he's leaving Vietnam and it's under fire and kind of what kind of led him to the States, being bullied, taking up martial arts, going through amateur wrestling, uh, senshu, karate, kickboxing, boxing, MMA being just a world champion kind of everywhere he went, which is really, really cool and a fun journey. And also talk about what if, what if he joined the MMA world sooner? Because technically speaking, he was really in his prime when he was dominating and being undefeated in the kickboxing and karate world. So what if he would have joined MMA sooner? What if in 1997, 98, 99, UFC would have order, offered him more money than the very, very few pennies that they offered him at the time? Would have been a great, great thing to see. Possibly would have been a UFC champion in his prime. But he doesn't like to live in what ifs. And, and his life is his life. What happened is what happened. And he's kind of looking forward to tomorrow and looking forward to some bigger and better things as far as the acting world is concerned with movies and television. So I'm not going to really go too much further into what we talked about the interview because it is lengthy. I really want to kind of get over to it as quickly as possible. But before we do that, I'd like to just say that the two-man power trip of Wrestling Podcasting Empire is expanding. We are adding on some new shows, so stay tuned very, very soon for uh, for some news and some notes regarding that. We have right now the Dirty Dutch, the University of Dutch, his podcast over on the MLW Radio Network, Dutch Mantel, that is. Of course, we also have Dr. Tom Pritchard's Taking You to School, which is on the TMPT feed. We also have Shane Douglas's Triple Threat podcast on Vince Russo's The Brand. And, of course, Rick Bassman's Talking Tough, which is over on Podcast One and Launchpad. So we have a lot of great stuff. Right now, let's take you to some two-man power trip of wrestling business. And then we'll take it on over to the interview with the legend, Kung Lee. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Raslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk. Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling.
they call me, come leave, case you haven't heard Forgive me, Heavenly Father, for what will occur Cause I'm a blast on his ass to the lesson Joining us on the line right now is a former Strike Force middleweight champion, a multiple-time world champion kickboxer, and a combat sports legend and icon. He is, of course, Kung Lee. Kung Lee, welcome for having me on your show. Hope everyone's doing well. Now, what have you been up to? Because I mean, there's not much you can do, right, with this quarantine and this COVID-19. So, what have you kind of been? What have you been up to? Well, I've just been uh, training from home and just, you know, um, hanging out with the family. Uh, I actually, I've been, uh, uh, I'm writing two different scripts right now. So it's, uh, it's been, uh, I actually needed this break. So I didn't have to run around so much and I can focus a little bit more on my family and, and myself and writing. What are you writing scripts? Movie scripts? Yeah, movie scripts. Anything you can kind of elaborate on? Um. Uh, basically it's like, like end of the world stuff. You know, it's, it's funny. I was writing it and that, uh, you know, I've been trying to like, I get as much as, as bad as I could and, and information and like try to put all the stories and tie it in all together. And then as soon as I start, I, I got through the first act and it's like everything that we talked about, except, you know, the, the pandemic, you know, like, you know, like a virus and, it changes, you know, uh, you know, the way people live and, you know, how people react, you know, with the uh, vaccine. So, it's, you know, it's crazy how things happen. Oh, very true to life, uh, oddly enough, right? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's but, you know uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, that, that's more like a film. And then uh, the other one I'm writing for, like, is for, like, a – like a net a Netflix series or something, but uh, it's more like a balance of, you know, good and evil on Earth. Yes, and it's interesting yeah. you're kind of doing that writing stuff. Are you planning on acting in it as well? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's uh, you know, I'm Asian. I'm you know, if if in in the world of Hollywood, unless you're white or you know, black or you know, uh, they're not gonna really focus on you know, like an Asian lead. So I should write it myself. And then, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I have some Asian investors that, that, uh, I'm collaborating with and we'll see what happens, you know? Now I, when I think of like uh, end of the world type stuff, good versus evil, I'm trying to think of like you in into the badlands. Cause that kind of had a, a end of the world type feel to it. Right. I mean, which you were great on by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. That, that was like after, the war, right? But mm-hmm. yep. this is more like current day and how things are happening and from the past to, you know, uh, to the present, how everything ties in together. And, you know, like there's a lot of people that talk about, you know, like it, like, like in the Bible, there's a verse where it says the dead shall rise, you know? So mm-hmm. it's just, just uh, I play off uh what's been really popular like like for the tv series supernatural had a 20-year run right so mm-hmm. you know what what could be done different in a movie like that or, or like a tv series like that because they they they've already covered every single thing that you can do but actually i i came up with a really cool concept and you know uh got some guidance from some really high level uh people that understand the Bible and 
have done some crazy stuff like exorcisms and stuff like that. So I uh, I just took what they they uh, explained to me and kind of turned it into an idea. Then the idea turned into a script, and now I'm talking to a, a few different uh, directors, and you know it's a it's it's all coming together pretty good. Is the writing process easy for you, or is it difficult? At first, it was uh, uh, difficult. I was better at just, like, reading it and understanding, like, because, you know, I, I've had about a, over a dozen parts, and, you know, I really, really trained for the part like I would train for a fight. You know, I'll really break things down, know my character, know the scenes and how it's laid out so I can know what, a director would want, and then when, if he's open, you know, the director would say, what would you do? You know, give me that tape, and, you know, then I would do it. But other than that, when I study and I train for it and I go over, it's just like repetition, right? Then just mm-hmm. like you're hitting a bag or you're hitting a combo, you're doing the same thing, you're shooting in, you're escaping. I, I just take all that application and I do it on every little details of what I need to do for the character and develop the character. And so I'm just kind of doing the same thing when I'm writing. And then just the, the part that, I, you know, I, I, I pick up is, you know, like how to put the script together, like interior, exterior, you know, fade to black, you know, uh, you know flash cut to mm-hmm. this, or, you know, uh, you know, kind of like montage or stuff like that. It's that's That's what it came together. You know, I got some really good friends that write very well. They're script writers, so I just bounce ideas off them and you know i get uh, a lot of good feedback and you know i go from there quite a different journey for you i mean uh, legendary fighter now writer uh, producer uh, creator like that's definitely a different role for you right yeah you, you know um can't fight forever uh, you know i wish i can you know uh still fight i definitely miss it i uh you know i still spar my son my 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 middle son anthony He's uh, he, he's a beast, you know. He's only 15. Uh, he he made the varsity team as you know as a freshman and went to a really tough tournament, uh, the Sierra Nevada, got top 12. And you know he he wasn't even really training because he you know came off being sick and uh, and then 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 the week before the you know Christmas break he he had a like finals. So like I didn't even let him go to like practice i made sure that he had to finish all his homework before he can get through practice and he wasn't able to get his homework done so you know i just did a little work with him in the garage and you know have him hit some pads and he went out there and you know got to the quarterfinals and and uh lost to the um the the returning state placer and then the the number one ranked guy in the tournament he knocked off the number eight and like he he like dominated the guy 15 like by by 15 points and then and then uh you know the 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 match right before he was going to get a medal like he got to the second day and he was so sore cuz he hasn't been training like like he never takes like any pain pain meds or you know and for the first time ever he's like I need some pain meds you know he was so sore but hmm. he got out there did great and barely lost by you know um just a a bad decision that he made and uh, you know and then after that he he got to a little accident um a barbecue accident and then uh the, his season was over but now he's 
you know, he started training again and get back into it and went to a, like an off-season tournament and, you know, got to the second day. So I'm pretty pretty proud of him. He's he's, uh, he's going to be like a force to reckon with. He, a lot of people, like, think he's, like, slamming everyone. He's really good in wrestling, but his his stand-up game is better than what he what he is in wrestling. So as soon as he puts it together, then I'm going to get him, you know, get, a, get him into some jiu-jitsu and put that style together. Uh, down into a submission or, you know, whatever that he likes the best. Any pressure on him from you? Because that's kind of some big shoes to fill. You know what I mean? Are you kind of making uh, making sure he uh, holds up the legacy or no? No, you know, um, you know, I got to let him, you know, go on his own journey, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I think as a coach, I want him, you know, to, to be the best that he can be. But as a, as a father, I don't want to ruin that relationship and, and be that, like, you know, can't, you know, find that fine line between being a father and, you know, and a coach. So I, I just, when it's, when I'm coaching, I just push him to his limit. And if he has any more, he'll push past that limit. So that, that has come from him. So I, I explained that with him, you know, of course he, he has a dream of, you know, going where being a world champion. I said, hey, I want you to be better than me. I want you to, you know, accomplish more than what I've accomplished. So as as a as as a father, I want that for you. But it's gotta you gotta meet me halfway. So whenever he doesn't, you know, like, you know, like push or stay motivated, I just remind him instead of like chewing him out. You know, I just remind him, hey. What's your goal? What do you need to do? Because right now you're not doing it. So I'm going to go train. If you want to come along, come along. If not, don't waste my time. You know, so things like that is kind of like how I, how I would push him. So by me saying don't waste my time, that sparks something in him, and he comes and he brings it, you know, so. Very, very good. Is it easier now because of the quarantine and kind of staying home? Is it easier kind of to stay fit and stay stay in shape, or is it almost harder because you're, you know, you're almost home too much? You know what I mean, like that kind of effect where it's like you're getting stir crazy. Well, I truly needed this uh, this break here. You know, I was mm-hmm. like nonstop. I just uh, just a year ago, I moved from Grove back to my hometown, San Jose. And it's been nonstop, you know, got, I went through a really ugly divorce. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I have full custody of my my two older boys. But one son's already, like, out of, you know, high school. His, he's already, like, two years out of high school, and he's doing great for himself, you know. Um, and then my son, Anthony, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a freshman in high school. So I actually took the last year and a half off just to focus on him because, you know, the transition with, you know, going through the divorce and stuff, I wanted to make sure his head's right and, uh, you know, uh, family first and raise him the right way. And then, and then uh, w- you know, with the divorce, I have another son with my, uh, uh, with my ex and, you know, just uh, trying to keep it as, uh, you know, as civil as possible and, um, and just uh, keep living you know, life to the fullest is every day is, uh, you know, is, uh, is a blessing and tomorrow's not promised to you. Absolutely. Now, as far as 
you and you and your, like your personal life and like life before fighting. How did you actually kind of get into the, the fighting world? How did that kind of come to be? Uh, well, you know, first I was, uh, when I was young, I was, uh, uh, you know, at two years old, um, or almost three years old, uh, my family left, uh, fled Vietnam uh, a week before the fall of Saigon. And my grandfather was a former chief of police, which would be a, like a colonel's rank uh, in the military. But he, uh, you know, he still advised and uh, spoke four languages. So, you know, he is very valuable. So the U.S. government says, you know, you have two hours to decide, take one suitcase each, and we are going to, you know, leave. And you have two hours to get back here and, uh, you know, we'll get you to safety. So he and left or he would have been executed or had to change sides. So he left and we ended up in a refugee camp in the Philippines then a refugee camp in Guam, then a refugee camp here in, in Monterey, um, which is uh, uh, about an hour away from, from San Jose. And from there, you know, he worked hard and got us into our home in San Jose and, and, uh, you know, we we were that family that lived like, you know, like 14 people in a four-bedroom house, you know. So um, just from there, because I think a lot of the American kids and even the minorities was not educated, kind of like what's going on right now. Like everyone thinks it's like the Chinese virus and, and uh, you know, a lot of uh, things are happening, a lot of racism. And so back then, a lot of people didn't understand you know, maybe their uncle or their dad didn't come home from war or their POW or, you know, they, you know, died in war. So um, there was a lot of hate. There was a lot of uh, confused, you know, kids because, you know, I remember all the Vietnamese kids were always getting bullied. I was one of them. I was always getting bullied. And finally my mom just says, hey, it's time for you to learn to defend yourself, you know, and, and put me in martial arts. And I think that was, you know, the turning point uh, when I started doing martial arts and I enjoyed it, but then, you know, she couldn't, she wasn't that consistent with, um, with, uh, dropping me off and because she was working three jobs at the time. And so I found wrestling in the seventh grade and, you know, the rest is history. Thank God for wrestling. Uh, I got a chance to compete on a, you know, one-on-one sport and had some really great coaches that really cared about, you know, not just me as a wrestler, but me as a, you know, as a kid at the time and, and then as a teen. And, and then, uh, you know, I just, uh, just uh, I think the journey was definitely guided and uh, God was there. Like so many people don't realize that you were a good wrestler because they think of you as like a stand-up guy, right? I mean, that's kind of like your thing. It's like the stand-up game, the karate, the kickboxing. A lot of people forget you were uh, you know, high school All-American and, and a really good uh, junior uh, college wrestler as well. Yeah, um, that that was actually uh, a plus for me. So a lot of them, they just thought I was a good stand-up guy. But, you know, um, I came from the wrestling pedigree, uh, you know, high school All-American, like you said, and then uh, – a junior college uh, All-American, but I wrestled year-round. I went to every single tournament. I was that kid that used to walk around the neighborhood, hey, would you like to sponsor me? I'm getting ready for the AAU Nationals or the USA Nationals. And I would, like, call my mom's friends and get, like, $1 here, $5 there, and then 
have enough for an airfare and fly out and stay with the coach's son and, and compete and, and uh, wrestle like a ensemble, Greco-Roman and freestyle wrestle all three styles. And by the time, you know, uh, the, the week was done at the nationals, I, I've had 11 or 12 matches under my belt and came home sore with, you know, a couple medals. So it was, uh, it was, it was fun. So I, I, I want my son to experience that too, but you know, um, it's gotta be up to him. I can't force him to do it. I'll just, you know, just have him, have them, uh, uh, want to do it. As far as getting into the stand up and getting into the, you know, the Taekwondo, the karate and the, the sand shoe and the boxing, kickboxing, how do you make that transition from the wrestling world into the stand up? Well, I think with a little background when I was younger, I went back to the same teacher and, uh, I started doing some local tournaments. I was winning all the local tournaments. I, I did point fighting. I did taekwondo sparring. And then then I did continuous sparring. Then I did full contact sparring. Whatever, everything that I entered in, I was winning. Then when I got to, like, the, the higher level, the nationals, I, I started seeing a lot of, like, politics where I would totally dominate the guy, but somehow I wouldn't get, get my points and I was losing. So I said, oh, you know, maybe it's a transition to full contact. So my first full contact tournament was in Alabama, and the uh, this uh, the U.S. national coach uh, Sean Liu, he was like uh, like a lower level Shaolin monk, and then he he would throw the tournaments, and uh, and I, I just inquired about the rules. He said you can wrestle, you can punch, you can kick. I was like, wow, okay, I'm gonna be there. So I went over there, I signed up, and then uh, I won my division really easy. And he's all, hey, do you wanna? you know, uh, do a, a special fight in the evening time. And I said, sure. He's all, you can fight the light heavyweight. I'm like, holy crap, that's a, that's a big jump in weight. He's all, well, if you want to do it, you know, um, let me know. And I said, well, I got nothing to lose. And so I went out there and did it. And I won the match, but I broke my hand and my foot at the, in that match. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah. From there, that, that caught, that was like, that was the first time I ever did full contact, but it, it was, everything was like, great, you know, because I was a really good kicker. My hands were okay at the time, but I was souffleing everyone. My wrestling was really good, so, you know, and I, I, I was watching Best of the Best at the time. I was like, oh, I like that scissor kick. I'm going to copy it, you know, so I kind of did it my own way, and I, I got two scissor kicks in that in in that tournament, and then, then I scissor kicked the guy in the finals at the next weight up, and I hit him in the, hit him in the stomach in the third round, and you know, it was over. Like he, he like I KO'd him, and then uh, it, you know, I was like, "This is great! Thank, thank goodness that this fight's over." Because I, you know, my hand was swollen. I can already feel it, and the top of my foot because I kicked him on the top of his head. So, wow. Yeah, it was. Uh, from there, that was what hooked me into the full contact in that style. And then, uh, you know, what I reps in at the U.S. Uh, three different times. And, uh, three different world games. I'm the only one who's brought home medals from every world games. And then, uh, then I became the coach. Uh, first, I was the assistant coach. Then I was the head coach. And then I, I was the, the only coach to have uh, three of my own fighters make the team. Actually, I had like five of the, my own fighters make the team, but three of them uh, got into the medaling rounds, and one of them took gold. And the, I was the first coach to have a fighter win gold world championships. 
Awesome. And was that kind of a natural thing for you, just as far as like winning world championships, like you said, and winning those medals and dominating the world games? Is that natural to you as far as just fighting and just having the instincts for it? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think w- when there's there's more rules, it was a little bit harder for me because you can't draw blood when you're point fighting or when you're, t- when you're doing taekwondo, you can't really punch to the face. And, I, you know, I got disqualified a lot because I was trying to aim for the neck where the, the the chest pad wasn't covering the neck part, and I would actually hit the chin by accident a few times. And, I, you know, on the bigger matches, it was really, like, close matches, but then I get getting disqualified for, they call it drawing blood. So I just said, I need to do something like full contact. So when I, you know, transitioned over to full contact, I would, now I didn't have to hold back. And I was just like, you know, it was, everything came naturally um, because I trained so hard. And plus, I've had so many wrestling matches and, like, the, the timing, the reaction. And plus, doing martial arts at a young age, I was already, you know, you know, used to the kicks. And, you know, and, and my boxing was really bad at the time. It was okay. You know, it was better than, you know, a lot of fighters out there. But... For me, when I look back, I was like, man, I, I stuck in boxing back then. But then, you know, over the years, I, I grow and uh, and get better at my weakness. But I, I, I feel that when I got into the full contact with everything that I've done from point fighting to taekwondo to, you know, continuous sparring, then when I was able to, like, open up instead of hold back, it was just natural. Like, I was just knocking out everyone. I love it, and I love that you just referenced a little while ago. Best of the best, it's probably Eric Roberts' best movie. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was that was, that was a great movie. I love the ending as well. Very kind of surprising that uh, no. Hopefully this isn't, isn't a spoiler for anybody for thirty years ago, but uh, <laughs> the good guys don't necessarily win. So that was a quite a quite a surprise in the end. Very cool though. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it was a good twist, you know. But it had all the emotion and humor. Yes. Struggles in, yep. in in the first one, right? The second one, they kind of took it off the the grid a little bit, but uh, it was uh, I think the first one was uh, inspired me a lot to you know just open up and you know try different things and you know the transition from punch kick to throw to scissor kick to just everything that I did and actually Scott Coker about a month ago, last time I went to go have a breakfast with him, uh, he brought up something that you know made me feel really good because he's all, hey, come, uh, I'm not sure of you uh, really. Uh, I think you're uh, a very dynamic champion because style or every single, you know, uh, you know, type of fighting from point fighting to taekwondo fighting to continuous, you have always, you know, carried yourself as a true martial artist, but you won in every single style. You became champion in every single style and who else have done that in the history of, of you know, martial arts? I, I, just, uh, I can't think of, you know, all the names, but, you know, like, I was like, what about, you know, like Chuck Norris or Superfoot Wallace and stuff like that? And he's a, no, no, like the most current. He's a, you know, he's a, look what you have done. And he just, like, came and listed it all off. And I was like, man, that's awesome. Thank you. He's a, when I do decide to do a Hall of Fame, I, you're, you'll be the first one. I'm like, oh, cool. That'd be awesome. So, Wow. Quite an honor coming from him, too, because he's uh, been around the world doing, you know, obviously a legendary promoter for sure. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, he recently told me that you know they 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 get the you know I guess the Frank Shamrock fight, and then him and Mario uh, is they're gonna, just gonna talk about it because he still today he said that that's the loudest crowd that he's ever been at because you know at one point you know when the UFC bought out Strikeforce, he worked for the UFC for I believe two years or a year, and uh, he said that he's never been at an event that was so loud it was deafening. Because actually, when he brought that up, I was like, "Yeah, I remember that." Because when I came back after the first round, Javier Mendez was like, "What the hell are you doing? I told you not to throw any spin kicks." I was like, "I can't, I can't, I cannot hear you out there." And then, and then, and you know, you hear me now. I'm like, "Yeah, but it's going to be the second round. I got to try to, you know, catch him with it." He's like, "No, you, you just, you just got to like point fight with him." And of course, I, you know, didn't listen. I just try to kick his arm off and. You know, it, it it worked. So, you know, he wanted me to play safe and be careful. And then in the third round, you know, I, I, I you know, if I would have just listened to him a little bit better, maybe I would have got staggered in the third round, you know? Right. But you do end up breaking his arm and getting the win and winning the strike force middleweight title. So you obviously were doing something right, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was, it's just, uh, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people – uh, would say like uh, I just saw this uh, this uh, little documentary just done like what crime you know like I try not to look back because what has happened already happened so if I look back it's like oh uh, now I'm looking back and when I when you look back you can't look forward you know you 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 always want to stay looking forward and that's what I always tell my son because he he has a lot of debate with his friends about that too I'm all, son don't worry about what happened in the past actually just use the past to make sure you don't make the mistakes that I've made or that you've made before in the in the past, but just keep going forward. Just keep going forward. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned kind of your prime and stuff like that. Is there any reason why you didn't kind of get into MMA sooner? Like, you know, we were kind of just intimating a little bit, like obviously maybe more in your prime if you were in MMA longer or went to MMA first. Is there any kind of reason of why you maybe didn't try MMA until 2006? Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, when, when the UFC came out, uh, it was like one weight division. Right. And I think because when I did go up to light heavyweight and fought in that tournament, I broke my hand and my foot. And, you know, when I did get caught, you know, it, you know, like I didn't get hit much, you know, when I was competing, but when, you know, every single fight you get, you know, touched up a little bit, but when that light heavyweight hit me, uh, you know, I, I definitely saw some stars, and I was like, "Damn!" You know, I I saw the difference in you know in in the in the power, and uh, you know, I actually uh, trained with a, a guy who was on undercard. I can't remember his name. It was so long ago. I've trained with so many people, but he was a heavyweight, and then uh, you know, I you know, I, I did I did very well against him, and he couldn't take me down because I was a you know a, you know high high level wrestler. Um, but it's just, I just, I don't know. I just like felt like I wasn't finished at what I was doing yet. So I, I wanted to try to really, you know, um, you know, compete and, you know, somehow get to, you know, fight against the King of Sanda. And finally in 1999, I actually fought, you know, the King of Sanda in, from China and he was the, their youngest champ and he was undefeated for three years. And he was, he was like, uh, like training, just, through everyone, knocking everyone out. So when after I beat him, you know I, you know I, I got a chance to go back to the world championships and you know coach and and then you know I just 
I just waited and and uh, you know I was making a living at the at the time trying to support you know my family and you know I had my first son, so I was just like you know what they offered at the time, like couldn't even really pay my trainers and and so I just I just I you know like my schools were doing very well so I, it's like every time I go on like like a two week uh, you know vacation with my family or or go away and like you know uh, do a seminar and I come back I feel like my school takes a hit because it's 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 not the same when if it's not you because I used to teach all my classes right and and so I just never got a chance to do it because I felt like I couldn't I couldn't afford to you know I didn't want to be selfish and go and fight and then what about my family fighting for you know like actually back in the day after I fought uh, Jason Ying it was, I think it was uh, uh what was it uh, 1997 it was on pay per view. And it was uh, for a world title. He was a, a bronze medalist at the world championships, and then uh, I, I haven't fought at the world championships yet. But I was, you know, like the up and coming, you know, like a uh, um, amateur that was just, you know, tearing everyone up in the scene. And, and when I fought him, uh, you know, I, I dominated him, and and uh, you know, they they actually paid me for the fight, and I got paid like five thousand. And then when I came back, and when it aired on TV. Uh, UFC called uh, called up uh, uh, called me up, but I had my uh, receptionist uh, pick up and kind of negotiate for me. But they they only offered fifteen hundred at the time, and at that time I was like I can't, I can't do much at fifteen hundred. I got I got I got a kid, you know, um, so I I I couldn't I couldn't really do anything. So interesting because uh, you know obviously years and years later UFC would kind of blow up and really become the monster it was but you're undefeated basically in, in kickboxing as as you kind of go through i mean 17 and 0 kind of dominating guys beating guys in strike force under under the strike force banner obviously the, more of the kickboxing banner before they did MMA Shoney Carter Brian Eversole i mean some pretty good uh, some names that people should definitely recognize were you surprised at all that you're kind of not dominating, but you know you're kind of going through, and and you are in K1 obviously as well. But you're kind of like the the, the guy to beat. Uh, you know, just looking back, I was uh, I, I was very blessed. You know, but the, you know, again, there's a lot of great fighters. There's a, a fighter that I really wanted to fight in Iran, uh, that was from Iran, um, because at the World Championships in the semifinals, I was dominating him, and then he did a spinning back kick, and I stepped out and I did a leg kick, but I hit him in the groin, which I did hit him in the groin. And he played it off so well that they disqualified me, so I was eliminated from from going to the finals. But I already had beaten the toughest guy from Belarus in the tournament. You know that guy from Belarus was like, uh, you know, the government pays him to train and he he fights professionally. So I already had beat him, uh, and it was like, you know, it was it wasn't like where he, you know, got anything you know like good on me. You know, I got I got punched in the face a few times, but I dominated him, picked him up, slammed him, scissor kicked him, swept him off his feet, caught his, caught his kicks. And then, uh, you know, it was a tough fight because, you know, like he did hit hard. And then um, the first round was like almost even, but, you know, I, I, I hit him with the spinning back kick. And then I, I started seeing that that hurt him a lot. And that was where all his energy was drained from taking that back kick. So I start pouring on the pressure and then he broke uh, towards the third, you know, like third, uh, like in the third round, because the first round they gave him the round on points, which was, you know, politics because I was, I was scoring and I was, 
you know, I was beating him. And then the second round, I just completely dominated him. And then in the third round, he, like, like he stopped. Um, so I got to the semis and, you know, I got, I was just completely dominating him in the first round. And in the second round, it was like towards the end, he, he just threw, like, he was backing up and I was chasing him down. He tried to do a spinning back kick and I kicked him, swept him. And then he, when he landed, he held his growing and then I got disqualified from uh, from going into the finals and in the finals, you know, the, the the guy from Russia wasn't as tough as the guy from Belarus, and uh, so I I've been tr- I was pushing for that fight against that guy from Iran, but um, every time we uh, we tried to uh, make that fight happen, um, uh, I guess it was either visa problems or something. So you know they ended up just getting like the Shida Khan champion or you know like uh, you know Shorty Carter or you know, someone for me to fight that, you know, had a name and that was really mm-hmm. tough and, uh, you know, you know, was somebody at during that time. So, but I was hoping for like international guys, but then the promoters all come, how that the international guy, no one knows him here. So, you know, you got to kind of like work with us a little bit. We'll get you the best guy that we can get, you know, for you to fight. I said, I want that guy from Iran, you know, but you know, it, it worked out great. I'm, I'm, I'm truly blessed, and I feel grateful for my my career and what I've done in the martial arts, and you know, grazing all the covers of Black Belt, Inside Kung Fu, and Kung Fu Magazine. So, uh, you know, I, I when I look back, you know, there's there's really no regret. You know, uh, of course, everyone says, "Hey, you, just imagine if you if you uh, started MMA season. I I didn't, so I'm not gonna look back and say, "Oh, I should have started." If my life happened that way, so it's like not my plan, right? It's I feel like I always put it in God's hands, so it's God's plan. So that's yeah. kind of like how to look at it, you know? Absolutely. And as far as like kickboxing and, and karate and fighting and stuff, IKF, ISKA, world champion, just multiple times, just like kind of just dominating. So how do you get into MMA? Scott Coker basically has his eye, and you say, "Hey, man, I'm doing strike force kickboxing. Now I'm doing strike force MMA. I want you to start doing MMA." Actually, it was uh, it was Scott Coker and Javier Mendez, right? So Javier Mendez, like Kong, you know, you've done everything you could do in 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 uh, you know the Sanda your your style of fighting. Uh, it's time to you know let's get into MMA. Scott's gonna promote, and Scott's like, yeah, you know, because they 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 brought me to to my favorite restaurant, like this fall place, uh, right right down. Montague and Capitol, right? And we 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 used to always go there and eat, and they're like, like I they were like being, you know, like the there was no good cop bad cop. It's just they're both good cops. And I like, come on, come you, you know, look at your talents. Don't waste your talent. You know, you're not gonna get any younger. Go out there and just fight. Like fight one fight, see how you feel. You know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll get you a tough opponent that you know uh, that, you know that you know, we can build, you know, for the fight. I'm uh, you know, so I thought about it. I said, all right, I'll give it a try. And I said, uh, Javier, you got to train me. And Javier said, okay, yeah, well, that was planned in the first place. Who else would you, tra- who who else would train you? I said, uh, no one. So it's you. And, uh, you know, at the time back there, it was like Dave Camarillo was with the camp and then, you know, Bob Cook, you know, and all, the, all those guys just like, okay, it's time. So I remember, uh, like I was really never exposed to like the jujitsu, and I came in and uh, Bob Cook like, okay, these are the moves you you know let's go to basics, so just passing guards and stuff like that. So he's all okay, let's do some wrestling with submission. So I was picking up Bob Cook and I was slamming him. Next thing I know, I was like in a a, a triangle 
triangle choke with his leg, and I'm like, and I got out of it because I picked him up, and I, I was like, like, you know, like, kind of like a rampage slam, but I didn't slam him. Mm-hmm. But the next time I picked him up and I slammed him, and I found myself in an arm triangle, I was like, ah, this, this is weird, you know? And I was like, okay, what, what are you going to do here, stall? And the next thing I know, I, I woke up, and I'm like, hey, where are we at? <laughs> so I was wow. like, oh, I, yeah. I understand commission now. I, I, I get it because I, I had no clue at the time, and when I woke up, I was like, dang. You can submit from there. I didn't know. So then I just started getting in class. And, you know, within a few months, I started understanding more. Because, you know, I did it a little bit with, uh, like, uh, Caesar Gracie and then uh, uh, Health Gracie. But I, I was travel, and then it was, like, once a week. And then it was with Guy, and then we were just doing so much basic. And then when we grapple, you know, um, you know, like with arm bars or lapel chokes, you know, like I would just tap because I didn't want to risk any joints. But my serious like, no D resting with Bob Cook and I was like picking up and slamming him down and next thing I know every time I take him down I'm fighting a like a, a triangle or like an arm bar or something. I'm like, dang, this is this is this is good stuff. I, I need to learn this stuff. So great transition, easy transition though as far as going from you know some amateur wrestling but really the stand up game into a full full immersion of MA. You think it was an easy transition for you? Well, you know, um, I think because of the coaches, you know, they they really helped me understand the game. And uh, I think with my martial arts IQ um, and having that uh, mindset of, you know, I know everything. I, I didn't have that mindset. I, I had the mindset of I'm always the student of the game. So I went in and I always wanted to learn. And it was easy to absorb because they were good teachers. So I just learned and executed and uh, stayed humble and uh, competed. And you were definitely one of the most exciting fighters for sure. And Strikeforce definitely kind of used you as a definitely great promotional tool and your charisma, everything else. Obviously, Scott Coker knew you very well from the, from the kickboxing and the karate world. So he's very familiar with your charisma and stuff. So as you're kind of going along, you beat Altman, Warren, Von Flew, uh, Tony Franklin, you beat uh, Tammy Morgan. And then, like you mentioned before, facing Frank Shamrock for the middleweight championship, and you beat him in front of the loudest crowd you said you've heard, and Scott Coker agreed, I guess. Was that just one of your, like, proud achievements and great moments? Because Frank is known as being one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. Yeah, I mean, definitely, hands down, you know, I've sparred with Frank before, and he, I got to say, he is one of the toughest, toughest competitors and even sparring partners I ever had. I remember... He was just like uh, AK. He was running through everyone, and then Javier. Uh, we at the time, you know, Javier and I was just talking. We were talking about like gyms and stuff like that. But he's like, "Hey, I need some work for Frank," and he was training Frank back then. And I'm like, uh, "Okay, yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm getting ready for, you know, one of my Sancho fights, uh, you know, and sure, I'll, I'll give Frank some rounds. You know, what are the rules?" He's like, "No, you just punch, kick, throw." And then uh, once you take him down, he'll, you know, stay on top a little bit, then he'll let you go and we'll stand up again. I said, sure. And then so I remember I just got done, like, doing, a, like, a like a workout video back back in the day where it was, like, you know, the Taekwondo paddles. It was, like, a kick paddle video that I did mm-hmm. for Tiger Claw. I was like, oh, okay. So I literally finished the, uh, the kick paddle video, and then, then um, like, within an hour, Frank was there. I remember I was laying down, and then he came in. And, uh, you know, I was like, okay, that dude's pretty, pretty big, you know. Uh, so he was in there. He was just pumped up. And then uh, we, we got inside my boxing ring and um, we started sparring. And I was like, 
this dude's like he was like one speed. He was just like beast mode coming at me. And I remember after like like the sixth round, we had to stop because he like bull rushed me, and I defended and like like that takedown. When but when we hit the ropes, he knocked all of my turnbuckles. The the fucking ropes came off the the like the turnbuckles, and it like my whole ring just collapsed. I was like, wow, dude, wow. Beast. And you know, after the sixth round, I was like, okay, I'm good. Uh, I'm tired. He did not, I thought he was only going to fight five rounds. Why are we doing more rounds? You know, and you know, he was just like, that's Frank. He wants to. He'll he'll do more than what the rounds that he'll fight. Okay, well, he got six. He got one more. I'm good. I'm tired. You know, because I was used to doing five minute rounds. You know, I was like used to doing like three. And we come four minutes. I was like, oh man, when are we going to stop? But it was it was it was a, a great experience to. To, to perfect, and then after that, they asked me to come in a few more times, and then closer to the fight, and then so he he I guess uh, tapered off from hard sparring, so uh, you know I wasn't needed anymore, and then you know from there uh, we ended up meeting, and you know he called me out after my Sam Morgan fight, and, and uh, yeah I was at, like in the best shape against Sam Morgan because I was I just got a, a big uh, Universal movie with Channing Tatum, so I flew out there, and then. The shoot went a little bit longer, so I didn't get back in time to start. Like, uh, or I had a full training camp, so I came back, and that was the first time I ever went to the third, like, like, uh, like a, like a, like a third round where right at the end I thought, man, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to knock out this guy because I was knocking out everyone. That, you mm-hmm. know, Tony, I knocked him on the like early in the third, but like it was like towards it, close to the end of the third. I, you know, I caught Sammy with a like a liver kick, and then, then I knocked him out. I'm like, wow. I got to make sure I come into shape in these fights because I was, like, pretty winded. Like, Javier's like, no more movies for you. So I'm like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's what happens, right? If you, I mean, you start getting popular, you start showing the charisma, then the, the movie world and the acting world wants you, and that kind of hurts your training, right? Yeah, yeah, it definitely hurt my training. You know, like, when I came back um, after I beat Frank, I was off for, like, 18 months uh, just doing mo- uh, three movies back-to-back. You know, um, uh, Scott said, hey, I need a main event for, for the December show. I'm like, Scott, I haven't done anything for, like, 18 months. All I've been doing is lifting some weights and, you know, uh, doing some cardio. And for my part in Pandora, I, you know, they didn't want me to lift any weight. They wanted me to look thin and, and lean for, for my part. So, I, like, I literally all did was cardio and, and, you know, I didn't eat as much and, you know, I just got down to 185 and maintained that weight the whole time. So it was like for two months and then he's all, I really need, I really need a, I really need a, a main event. I'll say, give me, give me two weeks. I'll let you know. And then like after two weeks, I was so sore. I was still sore. And he's all, come, we got to go. Let's go. And I'll say, okay, let's do it. And then of course, you know, he's all, come, I'll give you an extra 50 K. I'm like, I'm in. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Money talks. That's great. So is that kind of the career highlight for the, the combat fighting world, beating Frank for the middleweight championship of Strike Horse? Yeah, um, beat Frank and then, uh, you know, I'm getting my revenge for my first loss against Scott Smith, uh, fighting uh, as a co-main event under Fedor. You know, I was like, wow, mm-hmm. because, you know, back then I was a, a Fedor fan. And then uh, I was like, oh, fighting, uh, you know, um, under, uh, you know, the great Fedor. So I was uh, honored by that. So I, I fought that. I got my revenge, and then, then I went back to the, doing the film world, and then then uh, then UFC then UFC uh, signed me. 
Yeah. Um, first, though, I got to ask though, how come you vacated the middleweight title? Well, during that time, um, you know, I was basically three moves back to back to back, and there's there's no way I could defend the title. So I was gone for 18 months. So, you know, knowing that I got, I'm not now I have to choose between doing a a huge big budget movie with Ben Foster, Dennis Quaid. Then right after that, uh, you know, I got uh, a bodyguard and assassin, and that's Donnie Yen, right? That Donnie mm-hmm. Yen was like massive, the biggest, you know, biggest Chinese action star back then. So I was like, shit, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna fight and defend my title. Here's this, look at this opportunity. And, uh, you know, and and back then, you know, like these Chinese movies, they're, they're offering me a lot of money, uh, you know. So I was like, I you know, I can't fight forever, so I got to kind of build something so I, I would have something after my my fight career, right? I wasn't done fighting yet, but I wanted to start, you know, like that train moving for me, you know, for my career in, in, that, in that world of entertainment, you know. Because I, I already know how hard it is in Hollywood, you know. You know, and, and, and unless you, you know, you're like a, a massive star, uh, you, you, even like a massive star, they're not going to put you in as a lead, right? So here, here's, you know, I get a chance to play a lead villain. Uh, I'm I'm top four billing in in the Dennis Quaid and Ben Foster movie, you know, and then with Donnie Yen, I was one of the main villains. And then before that, I uh, with. Uh, Bill Kong, who brought over Clutching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, he was uh, nominated for an Oscar. So three movies back-to-back, you know, just amazing opportunity for me. So I just, you know, it wasn't fair for me to hang on and make everyone wait in there, you know. So I just, Scott just says, Kung, you know, uh, you know, you know, you got to kind of defend your title or you got to vacate it. I said, well, um, I'm going to vacate and then I'll come back. And he says, "Oh, okay." So he wanted me to fight, of course, but you know, I I decided to to uh, to vacate. Was that kind of just an easy decision? Because I mean, look, I mean, you, like you said, you can't really fight forever. Injuries and stuff happen, and, and different things. Is that just a kind of easy decision to make? Like, like, you know what? This might be the smart financial great move for my future. Yeah, you know, um, was it? It wasn't easy, right? It was right, it was right. But at the same time, you know, I I just had a real, I just had, I just had to sit down with my family, and figure out what was best, you know. And I knew that, you know, of course, I started MMA, you know, late. I was 35, going on 36. So I said, here's here's the greatest opportunity to prolong another career that could financially do very well for, for me and my family. So I, I took that risk because, you know, in, in the fight game, all it takes is one fight or one training camp and you when you injure yourself, you know, mm-hmm. you're out for you're out for a long period, you know. Uh, but back then I I was very fortunate. It was right before my last central fight is uh I was actually helping this uh this Brazilian fighter, Fuji uh, who was getting ready to? I was going to coach him uh, in China, where it was the, like the North American and South American team versus China. So I was helping him um, get ready for the, his fight, and then uh, I, I ripped my hamstring, like doing like you know deadlifts and 
going heavy and then uh, then sparring and then you know I didn't listen to my body so I ripped it and I I realized man that put me out for a good six months so I realized an injury in training or even in a fight could put me out that long then then what you know so I should make the decision hey I'm going to do these three movies they're renowned producers and in a big company in you know Constantine Films you know they at the same time they had that uh they had a movie with uh Jamie Foxx and and Gerard Butler you know Citizen so you know I was like I'm gonna jump on this train right here so I I, I did it and right before you retire like you said Strike Force gets sold to UFC you end up in UFC with Dana White and they don't give you a a lot of easy fights. You know what I mean? Wanderlei Silva, Vanderlei, one of the biggest MMA legends of all time. You know, you take a tough loss to him, but then you beat Patrick Cote. Then you vicious, great knockout of Rich Franklin, which was awesome. Um, and then Michael Bisping, the loss kind of the end of the career. They didn't make it easy on you, right? I mean, they, they put you in there with some top, top talent. Yeah, you know, I, it, the reason why I went to UFC is I went to fight the best. And, right. you know, actually my first fight, was supposed to be against Vitor. And then uh, I started training for Vitor. I brought in some training partners for Southpaw. And then, uh, you know, they, uh, they uh, Vitor said he got injured and he didn't want to, you know, he wasn't going to be ready. So they brought, they, uh, they brought um, Vanley over. <clears throat> so, you know, um, during that time I was training at AK and then, uh, you know, uh, and King Mo was there, right? So, you know, Timo was uh, one of my sparring partners, and man, he, you know, at the time, he was like this beast of a wrestler and fighting. He was uh, undefeated at uh, 205, and then he he slammed me pretty good and crashed my rib. And then, uh, you know, it's like, I, you know, he, you call Dana White up and say, "Hey, I'm a little bit injured." He go, "Oh, oh, make sure you're ready for you're you're the cold main event in San Jose. We we need you." So I said, "Screw it, let's do it." So I, I went into it. You know, I I was feeling good. And then, you know, I'll come second round, I'm like, whoa, you know, I sh- should have pushed a little bit more cardio, but, you know, you couldn't do much. Running and doing, you know, aerodyne alone won't do it, you know. And then, uh, you know, I, yeah, I started feeling it, and I got caught, and the match was over. So I really, you know, got my cardio down and, you know, fought Patrick Coutte, but then, you know, injured my foot. And they're like, we need you for China, and really you don't really have a, ch- a choice. You know, you either do it or you get sat in the – you know, sit. You know, they they bench you or they put you on the undercard or something. You know, so I just said, let's just go and do it. You know, and so I went out and did it. So God was great. You know, gave me the win. And then, uh, you know, then uh, against Michael, you know, Bisping, I was actually supposed to fight him in Manchester, and then uh, they wanted me to go and do the tough show in China. Right. And I I really didn't want to do that. And then even at the time, you know, um, uh, like two days before I had to leave. Uh, uh, my wife at the time had a, a like a stomach issue where she had to get a, a huge operation. They, you know, they all they said was like, "Look, read your contract. You better make sure you're out here for the beginning of the uh, of 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 the show when it starts." So I was stayed for the surgery. She was okay. I left the day after, and then uh, when I got out there, they didn't even start for a week. So it was like. You know the crazy shit that that happens, right? And then uh, yes. you know, then 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 you do all this, then you save the show in in, in China because uh, the the Lee Long TV has never done a reality show. So uh, even Dana White, there's a, a interview where I think he's on ESPN or Sherdog. He's like, man, if it wasn't for Kung, he saved our show. You know, in China. 
So I, I literally, because like I would like pick up the camera and say, "How do you work this?" Like, you know, I told the translator, "Hell, I'll film this because they're missing all kinds of great stuff." And so I, I actually even had the, some of the, the fighters reenact some of the stuff because we miss some like amazing stuff. And there's some stuff that they couldn't even put in there because it was so like censored in China, you know. And and so after that. You know, then I thought it was uh, okay. I need to get back fighting. You know, this this pay is like nothing compared to what I get paid. You know, fight. I, I got to pay bills. You know, and then uh, and then they're like, oh, you got to go on a tour for the TV show. So it's like one after another. Then then finally after I come back and you know I'm just winding down. Oh, you know, here's a little gift for you. You know, it's not even what uh, like worth as much as what like uh, the the coaches get. And I was like the Dana White in China. And then, then, uh, then, then they're like, "Guess what? You're gonna, uh, you're gonna fight Michael Bisping in, uh, in China." I'm like, okay, cool. So, yeah, I finally got a fight, and, and then, uh, you know, it was, you know, the rest is history. Then the kind of basically retirement and stuff. Any issues though with UFC? Because you know they had that false statement about you, stuff like. Any issues with them really or no? Oh yeah, um, I think you know. I'll, I'll, here's the deal. Right um, after what happened uh, in 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 China, they want two weeks before I was gonna go to Asia because I was gonna go there and train in in Vietnam and uh, get acclimated to the time. Um, uh, their lawyer, uh, Michael Mersh, I, I you know I think it was that was Michael Mersh, and then they they called me. And they said, "Hey, we need you to sign a new contract," you know, and I'm like, "Well, my." When do you need to buy? Because my lawyer's, you know, he's out of town. Uh, he's on vacation. He said, we need to uh, uh, sign it today. I said, you just sent it today. And then they said, well, just make sure you sign it. I said, well, I'm not going to sign anything unless my lawyer looks at it. And then they said, well, well then, uh, you know, good luck. And then, you know, I just I felt like, okay, I wonder what's that about. Because, you know, I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm, I'm still, you know, um I'm I'm about to main event for them in in Macau, you know, and you know at that point the the event was already sold out, you know, and then uh, so I went over there and you know it's just like after I lost, just just uh, what happened was they uh, they kind of threw me under the bus and said that you know uh, I was uh, I had elevated uh, HGH levels well. Uh, thank goodness for uh, Dr. Caitlin, who is the Olympic Committee PED specialist. Uh, and he says that, you know, Kung isn't, um, you know, uh, you know, his HGH levels were actually normal because you tested him right after he uh, competed. So, uh, and plus you're, and he didn't do it because he knew me or he, or, or like he wanted to do me a favor. He was actually, upset with the UFC because that messes with his 10-year research of HGH. So he was a specialist in HGH, and if you exercise for 30 minutes and you take your HGH levels, then you would have the same levels as, like I did, it was elevated. If you sit in the sauna for 30 minutes, your, your HGH levels gets gets elevated, right? So so they, of course, UFC had to um, lift my suspension, which first it was uh, nine months, then, you know, I guess either Dana White or the uh, 
Lorenzo says, oh, you know, outrageous. He was, you know, using performance-enhancing drugs and making a year. But then, but then they they had to take that back and uh, and uh, say that you know they're lifting my suspension. And right away they offered me another fight. But I was at that time I I there's I, I was so bitter from from what happened because you know like what I did for the UFC, you know like a lot of people don't realize it, but their first offer was with a Chinese investor for $4 billion. And, uh, you know, like I went out there and I did crazy promotion. I left my wife at the time to, you know, um, to go and do this show when she was like in the hospital and she had a, a piece of her intestine taken out. And then, uh, you know, they, you know, if, if you're not for the company, you're against the company or something. But, you know, after all that was done, I just decided, you know, I I'm a I can't trust them, and 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 I th- I believe a big part of that I believe in my heart is Scott Cooper had left UFC because you know of course he was, he he did he finished his contract, and then he he moved on and he got a job at Bellator, so of course they're gonna they're gonna try to lock me in, uh, for uh you know um for another six fight eighteen months the, that was the same deal that I got six fights eighteen months but I was stuck on their contract for five years, you know, so, and a lot of times, you know, I, after one of my fights, I got injured, yeah, you know, I, I was injured, but then right after that, I was, you know, ready to compete right after, you know, Rich Franklin, I went to compete again right away, even though I had a little, like, uh, a scope in my elbow, I took out some bones for her, but I was, I was ready to compete, but then, you know, they, they wanted me to do, they wanted me to do the show, you know, and they, you really don't have a choice. You know, so and after that, they, then they offer you know a couple fights, and and then by that time, after what happened already, it's like I got such a bad taste in my mouth, and here's another opportunity for them to do some other shady stuff because I I never well not truly if I was going to do something, I was going why would I take HGH? You know, it's it's not performance enhancing. You know, so I just. Finally, I got my diet down. I was, you know, I was, you know, I did what I I could, you know, with with uh, with uh, the show. And then when I when I was time for me to fight, I, I said, okay, I'm gonna get shape. I was, you know, I was in great shape, you know. So Michael beat me, but you know, I got pretty messed up. Got my eye messed up, and you know, couldn't see during during the fight. And, and I kept fighting all the way through. So you know, it's what happened is I, I figure. I don't want other fighters to have to go through this. And at the time, Rampage hit me up, and, and he he got off of it. But then he he introduced me to Rob, and they talked about you know the you know what UFC doing, they're cornering the market. And I I knew that firsthand because they bought out Strikeforce, they bought out Pride, they bought out WEC, and I said you know what I don't because my you know my son what if my son comes through the ranks? I don't want him to have, have to go through this stuff. There's a lot of other fighters that you know that are silent silenced by them but you know for me i'm not gonna not gonna you know be quiet i'm gonna stand up i'm stand up for all the other fighters this this lawsuit that we're doing we're we're representing 1200 fighters and all the fighters that are that come after this we're 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 standing for them so as they monopolize and lock down the market sure a lot of fighters might have their own opinion but a lot of fighters know like i was getting like secret like high fives when i was going to like the Bellator events, they're like, oh, thank you, Kung, you know, but they they wouldn't dare say that out loud or in 12 break or anything, but, you know, there are some fighters that, 
you know, don't understand and they're just happy that they're part of the UFC, but they don't realize that UFC is taking majority of, they're taking the lion's share, you know, and like, I, unless you're like a Connor or, or somebody, you're, you're not making, you know, you know, the type of money that even like middle level boxers make, you know, even some of the champions get paid, like look at, uh, you know, like Mighty Mouse, he's like one of the greatest, you know, you know, uh, at that weight and look what they're paying him. You know, they should be at least paying him, you know, seven digits, but they don't. And they make, and they make the, and they make that money. Easy. It is crazy. They could be making billions and these fighters are getting paid like 10,000 or, you know, whatever the amount is, but it's definitely not uh, equal compensation as far as their fight level or their experience or their status. I mean, they could probably make more of sponsors if they were allowed to. You know, they kind of yeah. got the Reebok things from, so they could probably make more of sponsors, but they don't even allow that. Yep, that's that's what I'm saying. They 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 take everything. They they even, you know, got greedy. They got greedy on the you know the the sponsorship. Look at how how much people have lost out on sponsorship. You know, it's it's crazy. Where Bellator, on the other hand, you, you can have any sponsor you want on your shorts. You know. And and the the difference between the promoters is Scott Coker is a true martial artist. He started in Taekwondo. He was he was you know came from the Ernie Reyes you know Taekwondo you know demo team and then you know so it's all about respect and discipline and and then you you can see it. Look at the last fight. Um, the last fight was supposed to happen. Didn't happen. He paid all the fighters. He paid their show and went in person. You know. And all the staff. So that's like, you know, my hat's off to Scott. That's uh, that's awesome. That's integrity. Yeah. Yep. He's a, he is a great guy. He is great. Now, as we head towards the finish, head towards the wind down in MMA, nine and three career record. Obviously, kickboxing, seventeen and zero undefeated. Even more amateur wins. Even more world championships. Like we mentioned, strike force middleweight champion. As far as kind of going from that and being a legendary fighter fighter into the acting world, did you think that that was like a, just a natural, easy progression for you, just as far as being able to get, like you mentioned, being able to get some of these roles that you've been able to get in? I think a lot of people remember Tekken, obviously, or you know maybe they'll, they'll remember Into the Badlands, but do you think it's been easy for you? No, you know, uh, every journey in, whether it's the fight world from the, the – like the kickboxing to the Sancho to the the to the MMA, um, it, it's been a difficult journey. But in in this journey, it's not as difficult. It's just the longer hours and and who gets behind you, right? Because Hollywood is Hollywood. You know, if you dig deep into Hollywood, there's a lot of you know not too great stuff. A lot of dark stuff in the in, in the business as well. So, um, you you but you have more opportunity if you're going to do something yourself. And there's more platforms now. It's like you're not stuck with you know like a like a uh, like the major networks, right? Or the the like a you're not stuck with a like a Warner Brothers or or someone. You can go around and shop, and everyone's competing against each other. They want the best project. Now there's Netflix, there's Amazon, there's these uh, you know ten minute movies that are coming out. 
there's so many avenues where you could bring a project in, but going from a transition from fighting, you're used to be in front of the camera, but now here's it's a different game when you have to act and deliver a character. You gotta you gotta have that timing with the other actor. You gotta have that synergy with the other actor, and you just gotta know where the camera's at. You gotta you know you gotta gotta kind of like dominate the room just like you dominate the cage so there's a a, it's a lot different than if you're just fighting there's you know fighting you you don't you you don't have to hold back you can just crush the guy and slam him and you just go you know pedal to the metal in in acting there's you you have to make sure where your rhythm's at or where you're gauging the mood or your your personality or you're happy or you're 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 sad or you're angry, you know, and you don't want too much of it or you don't want not enough of it. So it's 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 a it's a little bit more where you have to be dialed in really with that character. You can't just you know you can't just like overact. So um, it's definitely it's a definitely a, a different type of entertainment, a different type of experience. Uh, if if you put in the time, you're going to get what you put into it. So I put in the time and it seems like every single part that I've done, I've been pretty happy with, it, except Tekken because, you know, I was getting ready for to fight Frank Shamrock and then, you know, I I was going to pull out of it because they they kept running and they kept pushing my, my part. They pushed me in and finally I said, I, I can't do it. So they rushed me in. They shot me out in a week and then I actually got 21 stitches because the lead actor hit me on the like, you know, like halfway through the fight scene. So we had to like continue to work around like a, a different fight scene that we already had staged. And I, and I ended up, I came home like four weeks before the Frank Shamrock fight with 21 stitches, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Well, interesting in the movie game, <laughs> getting uh, stitches. Interesting. Yeah. Well, if you're going to do your own stunts, you're going to yep. make your own fight scene look good. And obviously that was probably one of my, uh, not as exciting fights in, in my movie career, uh, because of everything got cut short because I got injured on set, you know, but, when you're the star of the movie, you just gotta be safe. You gotta rehearse it so well that everything is bowed in. And you know, I've been able to do it without much rehearsal because uh, the movies I've been on didn't did have that type of budget, like with Dragon Eyes or um, uh, you know, uh, a puncture wound. Uh, you know, like even security, even with like Antonio Banderas, I came in um, like three weeks before they start filming and. You know, uh, that the fight scenes weren't all developed by the fight coordinator, so you have to wait till they develop it. But, you know, with, with Dragon Eyes, I, I developed all the fight scenes myself. I brought in my guys with puncture wounds. I, I helped out with it, but I had full control. And, uh, you know, when you have full control and when you're creative and you've really done your homework, you can definitely take it to another another level. So that's what I, I, I've been doing. I want to do a film that makes people think and where people can enjoy the action and get behind the character and that character will make 
you know, you, you feel what is happening and you can feel the character and, you know, enjoy that journey with him. Or, you know, it's like a roller coaster. You got your ups and you got your downs and you got it. When, when your character touches the audience in that way, that's, that's when you have the winner. And, and of course, you got to have that storyline instead of making a movie where you go in and no one knows why you're fighting why you're kicking ass, why you're shooting people, you know? There's got to be, the story's got to be through the gut battle and why you're doing it, why your character is in the situation he is in. That is very, very true. Very important. Those narratives and uh, those storylines and those character development, very, very important. I think people uh, sometimes tend to forget that in some of the movies and some of the TV shows. Yeah, it's, it's very important. Very important. Now, as far as you and, and your career, you can kind of lump acting into it because you've done so much acting and, and film roles and stuff. You can kind of lump that into it as well. But what do you think is the legacy of Kung Lee? I mean, legendary fighter, obviously, multiple-time world champion. But what is your kind of lasting legacy? What's your stamp? Uh, you know what? With my legacy, I should leave it in, my, in God's hands. I feel like it's not done yet. Look, right now, I'm still... I'm part of this lawsuit. I'm fighting for 1,200 fighters and all the fighters that come after, right? So I'm I'm doing that. I'm I'm uh, you know helping out with some uh, you know like a uh, you know uh, just uh, just a lot of like racism going on right now with you know the, the Asian people um, because they believe that every single Asian is Chinese and and uh, you know e- even the the, the Chinese you know, the people, they're not responsible for the coronavirus, you know, whatever, you know, or whoever, or Mother Nature, whatever it is, you know, that, that's the reason, but it's not the people here that who are innocent and who are just trying to make a living and, you know, uh, provide for their family and to look at all the hate crimes, look at what's going on in today. And um, it's kind of it's kind of crazy, you know, to to be part of this, pandemic where everyone's on lockdown and everyone's quarantined, you know, um, I, I'm very re- religious and I just started getting back in, uh, you know, uh, you know, touching bases and uh, with, uh, with, uh, this, my spiritual side and, you know, just reading the Bible and stuff like that. It's just like, man, it's just like, where, where, where are we going to go? How much more can mother earth take, you know, how much more, you know, uh, more, of the darkness that this will take, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So, very, it's, uh, very true. It's, 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 it's hard. I just, uh, again, I just put in God's hands and instead of like wanting to do something, like, oh, I, I plan to do this, I just say it's God's plan. You know, so whatever happens, whatever signs, whatever, you know, um, I'm put here on earth to do, I'm going to do. So legacy is not done. Uh, I think it's just starting. So let's see what happens here. You know, my my girlfriend's uh, Apache, and look look at you know their their land being taken over, and you know where she come from. There's a lot of corruption, and uh, you know I'm just I'm 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 standing up for all the mothers out there. You know they're they're dealing with CPS that's you know taking kids without. They're, uh, they're taking kids, you know, unwrongfully without, you know, they're breaking laws or, you know, judges and the 
some of the deputies, cops, or you know, it's just a racketeering out there. So I'm just behind the movement. So. As far as uh, plugs and social media and things like that, can you please just uh, share with everybody, give us your plugs? Uh, uh, my uh, Instagram is kunglee185, uh, and same with uh, Facebook's just kunglee, and Twitter, same thing, and, you know, the, uh, that's uh, that's it. That's my you know, social media. If you want to follow my journey or uh, see what see what's going on, and you know, I got a lot of going on, and you know, hopefully you can uh, uh, take from it that 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 is something that you can find useful or handy, you know, in your life. I started a, a YouTube channel where it's just currently official, and I talk about basic basic uh, self defense techniques with. Uh, what you can do to protect yourself in this world, like pepper spray, or if you know, if you're doing cardio kickboxing, you know the basics of punching, and uh, you can put a knife or two knives in your hand, and now it's a game changer for you. If someone's attacking you and they don't have a weapon, and you have two blades, all you're doing is throwing some combos at them with blades, you know? So I'm, I'm doing that just for all the people out there that's, you know, uh, part of, uh, you know, the... The, the hate crimes out there. So that's that's what I'm doing right now while I'm on quarantine. Another I cool thing it. that another cool thing you're doing too is uh training via Skype. If you go to kungleeofficial.com slash train, limited time during the uh, quarantine. Very, very cool. You're kinda of doing a Skype basically some live training, so that's awesome too. Yeah. I, and you know, I, I give I give a lot of tips for people who you know, need some motivation or people who want to get their you know, they're they're like a quick workout on, because you know, like if you think about it, right? That, that that's what I've been telling you. One, the most as many push-ups that you can do in say five minutes, um, and and as many push-ups and squats or even sit-ups that you can do in five minutes. If you did that every hour, because you're home, you're not doing anything else. Anything else? Just say you got 50 push-ups in five minutes. By the time eight hours come around, add up all the push-ups you've done, you know. So mm. just just simple things like that, you know. Like don't need to do an hour because then people who don't want to work out, they, they won't even listen. You know, they, they won't even, well, I can't do an hour workout. Well, do five minutes. Start with five minutes. It'll go to 10. It'll go to 15. Next thing you, you, next thing you know, you're doing 30-minute workouts, you know. Great, great uh, stuff. The best time is now. Nothing yeah. else to do. Yep, exactly. During the quarantine, might as well. So, Kung Lee, just wanted to thank you so much. It was an honor to get you on. One of the greatest mixed martial artists slash combat sports fighters in history. Just a uh, kickboxing legend, karate legend, whatever you want to say, stand-up legend for sure. So, Kung Lee, uh, thank you so much, and good luck in the acting world. Thank you very much. Thank you for the interview, and thanks to all the audience that's going to be tuning in. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.